Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, August 27th edition of The Basement Academy. Thanks for your attention this week to this continued reflection. Uh, Today, we'll kind of wrap up three weeks of reflection on critical race theory, both it's trying to understand its historical and cultural expressions. That's the first couple weeks. And then this week has been we're kind of how do we respond to this ways of engaging the conversation and the like and then we'll kind of wrap up with a few uh, other thoughts today uh two administrative notes uh, first is that um i'm going to be out of the office next week and i had thought to pre-record uh, a week's worth of continued reflections because i want to continue on this whole theme uh, but uh, the week just run out. And so um, just we'll take next week off from the Basement Academy. Let me invite you to go re-watch some of these, particularly last week. I think that might be um, probably the most important to try to understand the popular um, mainstream version of critical race theory that's being taught. Um So do that. And then we'll pick up after Labor Day, we'll pick up and continue on with our thinking, particularly how do we as Christians engage the suffering and the need and the injustices uh, of our world, uh, particularly around some of these these themes of race and gender and class uh, that critical race theory has, uh, has kind of you know, molded a, a framework for. <clears throat> so first administrative note, out of the office next week. Second um, is that uh, the concert and picnic tomorrow night on the 28th, uh, our benefit concert for Burma, humanitarian relief uh, in Calais, uh, trying to raise funds to uh, help support oxygen generating equipment. COVID is, is, is uh, rampant there, as well as uh, food relief. Uh, so we invite you to come free of charge. We will take an offering, uh, bring a lawn chair, and there'll be hot dogs and hamburgers and sides. All that'll be offered six o'clock to eight o'clock uh, at Greenwich Presbyterian Church. <clears throat> Let me go and begin with um, our morning psalm. Uh, this is Psalm 57. This is for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Hmm. I wonder if Lon knows what, (laughs) Lon, our director of music ministries, if he knows what that tune sounds like. This is when David had fled from Saul into the cave. And so there's, there's kind of a context, historical context, when Saul, paranoid Saul, was trying to kill David. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose Teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. 
I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 57. A great psalm in the midst of distress. Whatever distress you may find yourself in at some point. This is why we pray the psalms daily. In the midst of being chased by Saul, he's in the cave. He's being hunted like an animal. And David is saying, my heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will awaken the dawn. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. He certainly cries out for deliverance, but worship is where he ends up. So instead of just worrying yourself to death, pray your worries. So don't worry away your prayers. Pray your worry. Um, Most of the harm that most people face is never a physical harm, right? There are people who get hurt. So violence, abuse, these things happen. So, so this is, I'm not unaware of that. But for most of us, it's the lions and the beasts who, whose words, their, their, um, their, their teeth are like spears and arrows. Their lips are like sharp swords, It's the words that people say or don't say. It's the rumors, it's the gossip, it's the attacks. That's, that's, and so people, we live in such an easily offended society now. Our scriptures guide us. When people are coming at us, one, pray, worship, ask God to be your protection, and then rise above the insults, rise above the offenses. A prudent man overlooks an insult. The Proverbs guide us. And if we did that, <clears throat> you know, the, the microaggressions, people are not meaning to be harmful and hateful. Sometimes they are. Well, if they are, just, you know, rise above that, okay? And so hopefully um, <clears throat> we can do that. Uh, as we kind of wrap up a, uh, a set of thoughts, three weeks of thoughts, one more reflection. First of all, just I've tried to be fair with critical race theory, but I know I, I'm inclined in a direction. I, I've been reading about it for some time. It's, I didn't just start three weeks ago. Uh, I've done some deeper dive that's been helpful to me that has only convinced me that this framework, that the critical race theory framework, the critical theory from which it derives, you know, dating back to the Frankfurt School, this academic discipline, while there are aspects to be commended because it's seeking to respond to real human needs in our society and beyond uh, American society, though, though it's primarily an American phenomenon that, that's, that this is, <clears throat> that, that, that in my estimation, critical race theory is found wanting at a, at a conceptual level, that it is a competing worldview to Christianity. There may be shared concerns and mutual interests, but we have to come at it from a different angle. We can't adopt the assumptions of critical race theory. So I've tried to be fair. Uh, Maybe I haven't been fair enough. Uh, I'll I'll leave that for, for your judgment. 
the bottom line is I think this thing's here to stay. Okay. I think this is a mindset that is settling in. It will soon, if it hasn't already, um, assume a taken for granted quality. Okay. How do I want to, how do I want to kind of explain that? <clears throat> There's just certain things we take for granted in life. This is going to be the way it is. And so, um, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act, that, that's, I think on the whole, been a very positive thing. When's that passed? Maybe back in the 80s, early 80s, late 70s. Uh, I should know the time frame better. But that's been a good thing to build ramps, elevators, you know, providing access to folks for whom their physical or other struggles are real. And so this is a kind, just, wise, helpful expression. Okay. And so we just take it for granted, but there was a time when we didn't have that in place. So I would say that what's going to happen is the, 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 the mindset of critical race theory is going to settle in to a taken for granted status that white people are oppressors, it, that, um, uh, that power is being, you know, that the, the society has been arranged in such a way as to protect and preserve white people's power. And like that these things are, are going to settle in to institutional life, academic life, corporate life. Um, and, and so we need to be prepared for a long game. Long gaming is when you recognize something. You're going to be at this for quite a long. Parenting is a long game, right? You don't like, you know, teach your child to, you know, pick up their room and never have to think about it again. There's constant attention and awareness. Um, and so it's a, there's a long perseverance that is going to be required. And, and over time, because we're still at the front end of this thing, really, right? In its popular mainstream cultural expression, we're at the front end. So, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years downstream, you know, how will we live in light of maybe this mindset that settles into a taken for grantedness? <clears throat> so you will either, you know, you're either in or out of institutional, corporate, a certain kind of life, or you keep your mouth quiet. So that's long gaming is how am I going to survive? I need a job. If I, you know, raise my head, you know, raise my hand and poke my head above my cube and, you know, I, there may be consequences. Okay. So this brings me to four ironies of critical race theory that I'd like to lift up. You may not see them as ironies. I do. And, and we can maybe debate uh, and talk on, on the discussion group. <clears throat> so the first is that I would argue that already the critical race mindset or critical theory or diversity, equity, and inclusion or woke, so it goes by different terms, but this mindset has already achieved the institutional upper hand. And the irony is that it does the very thing it accuses others of. It targets and it punishes. And so... We have story after story after story uh, in schools, in uh, higher education, universities, 
uh, in corporate and, and, and businesses, uh, in federal agencies and the like, people who raise their hand, ask the question, write the essay in response to a training they went through, and they are punished. They are disciplined. Uh, they're set on the bench in some way. And so ironically, the evidence that it has the upper hand is that it is able to target and punish without concern. Now, the lawsuits will bubble up, I'm sure, okay, the employment uh, lawsuits uh, and, and, and labor lawsuits, but I find this ironic. Claiming to be an, you know, outsider, uh, kind of, you know, that others have the power and this is a marginalized thing, <clears throat> ironically, it's already got the upper hand and the way it knows it's got the upper hand is it can just, it just takes on people. Okay. And so I find that profoundly ironic. You've already got the power. You've already got the upper hand and you're, and you're, you're doing the very thing you're accusing others of. Second <clears throat> kind of plays in with this. How did it get the upper hand so quickly through free market dynamics? that really exploded, CRT exploded into public awareness after the death of George Floyd, okay? It was here already. It was, in the, it was in the academy. It had begun to work out of the academy into certain spaces, but post-George Floyd, a year, year and a half ago, this thing exploded so that every business, every... Um, uh, uh, store, uh, every school, every school district, every university now has to have a statement on diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's how the thing is kind of mainstreamed, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, who's going to say anything bad about that? That's like, you know, uh, apple pie, you know, the American flag and mom. Well, you can't talk about the American flag anymore, <laughs> And moms aren't always moms, right? You know, because of the change. And so quite ironically, you know, we used to say the apple, the American flag, apple pie and, and, and mom, you know, no, we can't even talk about that anymore. That would be racist and bigoted. And so every free market dynamics have so driven this uh, movement forward. Here's how it works. If your company, if your school, uh, if your group, if your organization does not make some kind of diverse uh, diversity statement, inclusion statement, equity statement, you will face adverse market consequences. You'll get boycotted. The social media mob will will post on on you know Facebook or Instagram or all these other spaces, and it will just spread like wildfire, and people will stop going to your place of business. <laughs> and so here's the irony. There will be adverse market consequences if a group doesn't embrace CRT. And so it's driven by the very market forces that it denounces because capitalism is well in the crosshairs of this movement. That capitalism is an oppressive uh, system itself that, you know, my presbytery training, I don't think I mentioned this um, last week, in my presbytery training, 
that capitalism is simply another way of keeping people of color down, that it started on the backs of uh, African slaves and then this kind of this 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 American society was built by black people. That 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 is popular mainstream. That it was built by black people. I think some others have had some involvement in building things in America, but but it's a it's kind of a it, it's a meme now that America was built by black people, but white people profit from black labor, free labor, cheap labor, okay? So here's the irony. The very market forces that have driven this thing forward are denounced by itself. So there's this, there's this profound irony. Um, just read an article uh, this week. Um, I don't know if it's Vivek or Vivek. Vivek Ramaswamy He's Indian American. He's in his mid thirties. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. Uh, he's a biotech entrepreneur. Uh, he's got an estimated net worth of some six hundred million, and he's no longer playing the game. He's written a book and called entitled "Woke Incorporated" or "Woke Inc." Uh, period. And I'm just going to read from this article. His new book, "Woke Incorporated," is a critique of his collaboration between social justice movements and vast corporations, which he argues have adopted progressive rhetoric and shallow gestures to obfuscate their own misdemeanors and entrenched power. What he says is that it's just a game at the corporate level. They all know they have to make a diverse equity inclusion department, diversity equity inclusion department. They make gestures, but at the end of the day, it's all about the bottom line. It's it's just so that they don't lose lose uh, shareholder value, that that their their corporate profits would not be impacted. So if we don't do this, we're going to be impacted. So what kind of gesture do we need to make? And so he observed this in these various gatherings over recent years, and he said, "I'm done with it," and he has now been kind of ostracized <laughs> within that uh, community. And so his concern is that this movement is going to be detrimental to uh, a republic such as ours because decisions are not being made via the democratic means of ballot boxes and legislatures. Decisions are being made by these corporations, uh, what he calls woke capitalism, that market forces are driving this mindset forward simply so that profits would not be decreased because of the social media mobs that will boycott and the like. And so anyway, I find all that profoundly ironic that this, this movement has come forward by means of the very market it denounces. Okay. Third, um, this uh, movement alleges white supremacy and privilege are so deeply embedded, unalterably intrinsically embedded, such that the child who's born today who's white is already participating in this systemically oppressive regime. What has that child done? Children are being taught in our schools that they need to 
um, become aware of their privilege. What little third grader, what fifth grader, what eighth grader, what high school senior has done anything to harm others? And so it alleges that this thing is called whiteness, this disease of whiteness is so intrinsically embedded that it cannot be gotten out of, but then it demands that whites change. So I'm not sure you believe your own message. Either it's unalterable or it's not. Either you can change or you can't. And, and, and so this is that Kafka trap. Darned if you do, darned if you don't. If you admit you need to change, oh, well, then you admit you're a white supremacist. If you say, well, I'm not going to change, oh, there it's unalterably embedded. There's your white privilege. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, 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 I denounce, <laughs> I dissent from the premise, right? And so there's this irony here. That's probably, maybe not a, a, a perfect irony, but it's, it's certainly a contradiction of sorts. It's like, huh. I'm not sure which way you want me to play this one. <laughs> and, and so I think there's something significant there to pay attention. Finally, in the, in the matrix of oppression, uh, as put forward by Patricia Hill Collins, Christianity particularly Protestant Christianity, and, and in some places even more narrowly conservative evangelical Protestant Christianity is itself a part of the patriarchy, the, hege the hegemonic power, um, the oppressive power. And so I represent a, a white, straight male who is a conservative Christian is lifted up. So within this framework, now, not all will do that, but but in in its popular mainstream and kind of secularizing um, uh, approach, this mindset, diversity, equity, inclusion, etc., sees Christianity and sees evangelical or Protestant or conservative Christianity as part of the problem. The profound irony is that the arguments for justice and respect for the marginalized that, that critical race theory advances, those arguments themselves are derived. There's a straight line derivation from Christianity, okay? Western civilization, our society has been animated by the framework of these scriptures, our Judeo-Christian scriptures. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. <laughs> And they're endowed by their creator. This language of a creator does not come out of atheism. It does not come out of secular universities. It does not come out of other world religions. This, this particular framework that we embrace around justice and care for the poor and victims' rights, that derives from Christianity. I've made this reference often. Tom Holland wrote a book, Dominion. He's an historian of antiquity. And he makes the case that Christianity has so become the mindset, it's so deeply embedded, people don't even recognize it anymore, that Christianity won. That is the mindset. So people who make arguments for justice for the poor, justice for uh, the outcast, justice uh, for um, the marginalized, 
that itself is a Christian argument. And so, again, profoundly ironic that critical race theory is actually arguing for something that is Christian, justice and equity and the like. We can go to our scriptures. Now, they may mean different things by them in, 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 in places, but they don't even recognize that they're making a Christian argument. They don't even recognize that they don't believe the very thing. Either you can change or you can't change. They don't understand that the reason this thing has mainstreamed is because of the capitalist market forces <laughs> of our society. And they don't realize they've already got the upper hand and they're exercising a hegemonic power. That is, they are beginning to punish people <laughs> who just want to ask a question about the framework itself. I find all of this profoundly ironic and telling. Now, I welcome pushback and, and, and I welcome that my guess is there's probably another half a dozen ironies that will, will bubble up uh, out of this. Things like, um, just occurs to me, you know, the, the, what we're arguing for is to give people access to education so they can have access to better paying jobs, which themselves are capitalist um, realities, right? They are not socialist realities. They're not communist realities where the means of production are equally shared by everybody. These are capitalist realities. People want to advance and America provides that opportunity to advance. Again, the profound irony that the black PhD at Harvard is writing the book that is influencing society saying they're oppressed. I find that ironic. Okay. So I think this, um, movement, uh, as we continue to reflect on it, will yield more pinch points, okay, conceptually. Again, let's be fair. Let's not ridicule. Let's engage where, where we can. So, okay, uh, let's wrap up here. And then uh, on the other side of next week, uh, after Labor Day, want to pick up with some thoughts about um, more broadly, how do we as Christians think about the dynamics of our society that critical race theory, you know, is, is raising as in, in a um, spirit of inquiry and criticism? How should we respond to injustice? How should we respond to poverty? How should we respond to racism? And talk about that um, probably will be more than a week. Uh, it certainly deserves great attention. But for now, let, let, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your mercy and kindness. Your mercies are new every morning, and so we receive these mercies. And in your mercy, Lord, cause anything I have said today or these previous days that is not true, that is not helpful, that, that will not bear fruit for your glory, cause them to be blown away with the winds of your Spirit. But that which is true, that is reflective of your kingdom and of your grace, that you would cause that to remain in our lives and, and disturb us, Lord. <laughs> Unsettle us so that we might be part of the solution uh, to the needs of this world. Help us to shine, O oh Lord, uh, against the backdrop. Shine like stars, shining stars, against the backdrop of a crooked and depraved generation. And so, Father, hear our prayer as we make it now in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.